You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I've got 20 years in the business, but it's interesting. It's really been like effectively working for, you know, I tell people four or five different companies. You know, the the business has evolved all the way back. If you go back to the very, very beginning, I mean, think about what... We're now the Ironman Group, which has all these unique and interesting offshoots with other businesses and other other types of events. But it really all started with that single event in Kona in 1978 with 15 guys. So I'm one of a handful of people who in many ways grew up in the business. I was 24 years, 24 years old when I started working for North America Sports in 1999. That was Shane Facto. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Welcome and welcome back. Thanks for listening to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Hope your 2020 is off to a great start. I don't know about you, but I've set some serious fitness goals this year, beginning with the Rock and Roll Half Marathon in Washington, D.C., followed by New Jersey Marathon, Brooklyn Half, if I get in, Pat Griskis Olympic Triathlon, and Ironman 70.3 Muscle Man. I'm also considering going to visit Marnie on the Move podcast sponsor, Mad Ritual CBD. They are headquartered near Seattle, and I'm thinking maybe I'll do that. Ironman 70.3 Maple Valley Triathlon. One of the things I really love about racing is traveling to new cities, discovering exciting places, exploring new terrain, and there's no shortage of opportunities thanks to the Ironman group. This is the focus of today's conversation with the Ironman Group Chief Operating Officer, Shane Facto. Shane has been with the company for 20 years, from the initial launch of the iconic Ironman Lake Placid to the now 235-plus events worldwide. Shane shares exciting news about new races and cities being added to Ironman Triathlon Series and 70.3 Ironman Triathlon Series. We talk rock and roll marathon, Abbott World Majors, and the Singapore Marathon. Shane shares the philosophy and approach behind how the Ironman group decides where to host events, how the company prioritizes athlete experiences, and how the events impact economic development and tourism. In the spirit of triathlon, this episode is the second in a three-part series with three unique guests from the Ironman group on the history, growth, and future of Ironman Triathlon Series and Triathlon, the Rock and Roll Marathon Series and Running, and mass participation sports around the globe. If you haven't already downloaded my conversation with Andrew Messick, the Ironman Group President and CEO, 
I highly recommend you have a listen to get the scoop on all of the great acquisitions, digital offerings, new website bells and whistles, growth, and expansion of the company. As part of the Wanda Sports Group, the Ironman Group is the largest operator of mass participation sports in the world and provides more than a million participants annually the benefits of endurance sports through the company's vast offerings. Beginning as a single race, the Ironman Group has grown to become a global sensation with more than 235 events across 55 countries. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to your app, scroll through the 100 podcasts episodes, click on the five stars, then click on write a review and tell us what you love. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends, post what you like in your Instagram stories or on Facebook. And of course, I'm here. So feel free to send me an email, MarnieOnTheMove1, the number one, at gmail.com. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to share a word about our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high quality CBD infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100 plus five star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. Shane, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Well, you have a really long history with Ironman, 20 years to be exact. How have you seen the culture, race venues, and operations shift and evolve over the years from the original family-run business to now a global operation? Yeah, I mean, I've got 20 years in the business, but it's interesting. It's really been like effectively working for, you know, I tell people four or five different companies, you know, the, the business has evolved all the way back. If you go back to the very, very beginning, I mean, think about what, you know, we're now the Ironman group, which has all these unique and interesting offshoots with other businesses and other, other types of events. But it really all started with that single event in Kona in 1978 with 15 guys. So, I'm one of a handful of people who in many ways grew up in the business. I was 24 years 24 years old when I started working for North America Sports in 1999. 
Um, as everyone probably or maybe isn't aware, the Ironman business has evolved a lot and dramatically over the years, starting as a licensed business with pe- partners all over the world. Graham Frazier, who was my original boss, right. was a license, effectively the entire license holder for all of North America at that time, consisted of one event, Ironman Canada in Penticton, right. which we're returning to this year, as I'm sure many of your listeners are aware. His mandate from the president at the time, who's a member of our Hall of Fame, Lou Friedland, was since he had the exclusive rights, the business, the prior president prior to that didn't want to expand, not North America. He thought it would impact Hawaii, The what was which is crazy to think about right now when you look at the landscape, but that was the mindset then. Like, we can't have too many races because, oh, my God, it'll impact sort of the crown jewel because even then Hawaii was was the epitome of the sport. Lou came from a completely different mindset. He's like, we need to get this thing out there because the way we're going to grow the brand and the way we're going to really make this, we got to touch all corners of the globe. So he basically went and sat with Graham and said, you need to expand in the United States. Because we got, I mean, it's the biggest market we have in the entire world and we have no events. So did you go from one event to two events or one event to 20 events well, like, quickly? I sort of joined this process in like Placid because that's where I was personally at the time. I was actually a sports editor for a series of small newspapers there at a young age. And that's how I got to know Graham and the team because they brought Ironman to like Placid. So it was like six weeks before the race. I actually was like, you know, what? I got to figure out what this thing is. You know, and through a weird, quirky series of events, which effectively was the race director not showing up for two meetings with me and Graham coming and grabbing me out of an office I was sitting in waiting for this other guy and then me sitting with him for two hours, that sort of led to him and I talking about everything under the sun and him offering me a job the day after the original Lake Placid. So so were it, you in PR then? Because I know you kind of started your career in PR and then you moved into operations. Yeah. So they hired me. I was originally hired. And I, it's funny, I, you know, I, I actually was digging through some some files at my house. I have my original little offer contract from 1999. And I think I can't remember exactly what the title was. It was I think it was communications manager. Right. Right. And, you know, when you're 24, you know, you're you're like all excited when you you get those things. But it was really an interesting thing. But yeah, I started on that side. But for those in the industry, you know, this was a, a six person company. Right. So you may have a title that says you're X or Y or Z, but you're doing a lot. So I certainly started on that side, organizing all of that very much like our team does here, but on a global basis for the North American sports team. And quickly evolved and moved into other parts of the business because right. there's only so many people around and we grew like crazy. So 99, you know, my first event working was Ironman Florida, which was that year in November. And I still remember the discussions like with the team then they're like, oh, my God, how are we going to like we had one event last year in Penticton. How are we going to do three events this year? You know, when you think about that, we have 253 events in 53 countries around the world and we have weekends with 10 events. It's like almost mind boggling, even as late as, you know, 2008, which was the last year of effectively North America sports and Providence came in and started buying out the licensees. And in that next phase of the business, we had eight events and we thought we were working hard. One (laughs) one event a month from March until November. And and I think in the context of what we were at the time, we were. But we have more events than that in a single weekend globally now. Ironman has reputation for being probably the best run events around the globe, I have to say, from my own experience and then obviously from other athletes. So what have you kind of kept from the original races that 
you have taken that's still in effect now and what have you totally gotten rid of? Yeah, I think when I and as chief operating officer for the company, it's a pretty interesting question because it fits very much like I've lived all over the world now. I moved right. to Germany twice and I've lived in Australia and I've been around kind of taking that concept when Andrew was hired and he promoted me, the goal was we need to streamline processes and systems and things like that, which aren't always sexy or fun, but ultimately are the core elements. And we were putting on fantastic events all over the place. They were just done slightly differently. I think the big takeaway, and I always remember Graham bringing this up to us because there's a bunch of young kids effectively working for him in, in their right. 20s. He's like, whatever we do, it needs to deliver a great athlete experience. And there were places we, I still remember to this day that we walked away from and said, we can't go there because we couldn't find a bike or, you know, wasn't going to fit that model. And as we've expanded that and gotten more experience and understand how to operate things differently, that changes and evolves, but ultimately that's the core essence. I mean, I can sit here and we'll get into some of the details, but there's been lots of places that have hurled a lot of money at us to say, come please put a race here. And we're like, can't do it. Sorry. Right. Even though you showed me a venue or something that's really, I guess, theoretically workable. Right. It's not going to be a good enough experience for us to put our brand on. Right. Because when you go to a city with a race, I mean, you bring in it's not just creating an experience for athletes. It's also bringing in a tremendous amount of business and economic development within that city. Yeah, that's a big piece of it, particularly, you know, as you look at the demographic of our athlete and what they represent to a community, particularly in today's world. I mean, as industry shifts and changes and moves all over the world and, and communities are looking for true economic impact, one way and a lot of the a lot of them, one safe way and one way to do it that isn't impactful on the environment. A lot mm -hmm. of communities really care about like, I don't want to build a factory down the road that's belching smoke making widgets. So a lot of them are chasing tourism dollars and a really good way to do that is through sports and right. not only just bowl games or people putting butts in seats for games, but, but participatory sports. You bring in anywhere from 10 to $13 million. Yeah. For and, standard and that's Ironman. also a huge that's part correct. of that is in hospitality. Yeah. I mean, there's an experiential aspect, particularly to the, the longer the race, the more experiential it is, is what we find. And that includes marathons to some extent, a little bit different. Like the longer the distance. Correct. Because you're making a bigger investment as an athlete. Think right. about it. Right. Ironman athletes, you know, on average are doing one event a year. We're not, we have certainly, and I know that's a very broad statement, but there's people doing two and three and four. I get it. But the average athlete in our ecosystems planning on one full distance in a year. And that's so that a big you, deal. Yeah. And so you have, well, I mean, you have all kinds of customers, right? Mm -hmm. So is that, is there other categories? Like, what do you call them? I mean, obviously the person who's doing one race a year could be, have been doing that for 30, 40 years, or they could be, it could be a first time. And then mm -hmm. you have more diehard athletes mm -hmm. that are coming and doing, you know, five, 10. Yeah. And again, yeah, with the year. growth of 70.3, you know, you may be doing one Ironman a year, but they're certainly doing two or three 70.3s. And there's a whole cadre, I think, of athletes who focus on that distance and are doing four, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 races a year. Some yeah, people. We yeah. had somebody in the office speaking to the team about, we had a, a little lunch and learn thing about how um how you stay fit and how people do it. And they were doing like 20, literally their schedule is 20 races next year. And 20. Uh, 10 and 10 10 and 10 wow it was nutty we're like whoa okay, okay. so we do have those people yeah. and then we have people who are great customers but do one single event a year but again if you're doing an Ironman you're making a huge commitment and right. that commitment includes and typically people aren't flying in 
you know, the day, trying to fly in at the last minute and leave the first minute. They're trying to make a trip of it. And that's right. really useful to those communities to be able to not only obviously the economic impact is important, but also show off their community because it's right. this stuff isn't just about coming in, doing the race and never coming back. A lot of what the community is like, it's an opportunity to show their community. If you're going to Chattanooga, just use that as a great example, a place that we've had good success, even had a world championship, which people kind of scratched their head until they went there and saw it. Right. Why would like if you live in Germany, you don't necessarily know Chattanooga. Right. You do now. And part of that is the opportunity for that community to show off everything else. They got a cool aquarium and you can hike there. You know, you're at the kind of the base of like the Smoky Mountains and there's all kinds of other stuff that that's where a lot of the tourism interest is. I think, can they create a longer term customer by exposing them to one of our events in their community? Right. I mean, it's a racecation. Mm -hmm. exactly. So now. Speaking of races and locations and interesting places, this is the first time in six years, 2020 is the first time in six years that Ironman Group is introducing a new Ironman triathlon in the United States. And you selected Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was one of four cities that had bid for the race. So tell me a little bit about that. What are the exciting bells and whistles? that you're offering in Tulsa and what about the other cities? Yeah. So there, there's a couple things like I, I got to go see Tulsa and we have a team. They went out and they, they did the process. It offers a couple really unique things for us. One, the city's fantastic. I mean, it, it, when you talk about Tulsa, it reminded me a lot of Chattanooga and that there's a little bit of a hidden gem here. I think that maybe particularly on a, a global level that people don't realize. I mean, it's unbelievably artistic and musical and beautiful downtown. So we have a, a long laundry list of checklists. We got to get swim, bike, run, right. There's got to be a great finish line location, things like that. But Tulsa, when we put it all together and also looked at our race schedule, which is an important thing and location ticked all the boxes. Um, it, it may be hard to believe, but we have some underserved areas of the United States and that was one of them, sort of that quadrant. And that was really where we were looking. Right. So, um, and they, they've really embraced it. They have a longstanding marathon. They have a longstanding large scale cycling event. They have a lot of interest. They were super, super excited and are very committed to putting on a great event. And one of the goals for us is to create new athletes. And this is a new area for us, particularly from a long distance perspective. And that'll also help create more athletes, which will help strengthen the sport, which will can, you know, keep the machine moving, so to speak. And so that race is in May. Correct. So is it already completely sold out? I think we're 90%. I mean, one of the things we looked at, you know, Again, as we look to build new athletes, we're cognizant of this is a bit new for some of the region. So, and I can go back to the Lake Placid example. The first year at Ironman Lake Placid, there were eight people within a 40-mile radius who were signed up for the event. Now there's hundreds and hundreds of people who race every year in Lake Placid. Like we create our, an athlete community. Lake Placid is one of those must-do. Well, it wasn't at first. It you had wasn't. a bunch of people like literally in the first public meeting Graham, I remember this is hilarious. He went through this whole song and dance about, you know, here's what we are, here's what we do, blah, blah, blah. The, the normal thing you do. Someone raised their hand and said, excuse me, can you tell me what, which order they go in? So, I mean, when you're talking oh about God. like the place that is like iconic and Ironman right. now, that's where we started. 
And that's, it's pretty funny, but that's sometimes what you're dealing with when you go into new places. Tulsa isn't that. Clearly, there's a, we're at a much different era. Right. But it's a, it's certainly a company goal to be able to spread sort of the brand and the message and this wellness and fitness and the business, we're a business, right. into other parts of the country and parts of the world. And when you go to other, when you go to these cities and you're bringing in all this business, you work a lot with local race directors, local experts in sports to kind of put the race together and bring it to life. How does that work for you? It varies in, in a lot of that's based on what expertise are in the community. We have our own internal process and system where we're sending our people. They're vetting everything. We're not relying on just someone coming to us and saying, Hey, this is great. Come do it. Right. We have, uh, you know, I think we did four, probably four site visits to each of the communities two at least to each community. And then certainly follow up since then in Tulsa to nail down the details and make sure it's something that we're comfortable with and it's to our standard, but it's, there's no exact science here. You, for those of you that have raced a long time, you see there's tweaks and changes year after year, and that's based on experience and, and what we do, but that's our know-how and that's what we do internally. And how do you how do you design the courses? Like how do you decide what the course is going to be? Like what the route is? We do one of the benefits as we've grown is there are local athletes in the process, which is interesting because a lot of them will know where the best riding is. Usually the swim is fairly straightforward. We, yeah, you know you you either have a body of water or you don't, and then you design a, a course that can fit within that that's safe and effective and is going to fit the needs. Right? Some swims are nicer than others, but at the end of the day, you're limited. Right? So you it, right. It so may, you have to takes, start with the swim. Takes a lot of the variability out of it if you don't have water you're not having a race that's a good start <laughs> run i mean you get a lot of flexibility we're running a marathon distance but we don't have the volume of people so that gives us a lot of flexibility to build runs a bit bit differently than if you were building a, a marathon course right. just for a running race so we're usually pretty good we want to be downtown we want to have a nice finish it's the bike that takes most of the time and usually we are reliant so we're not just driving all over hell's creation looking at roads you know, we ask if it's a CVB or a sports commission or someone, you need to bring us a few athletes and right. we need to sit down with them and have them talk about some of the best riding around here. And How that's do athletes locally find out about the opportunity to work with Ironman? We're fairly, fairly tight on it. We okay. go through our local partners because what we can't, we don't want to do is, is let the cat too far out of the bag until we're ready to do something. Right. We appreciate some of the feedback, but at the same time, we need to control a process. So typically, it, we're going to rely on the local partner, whoever's brought us to town. It's usually a sports commission or a local cha you know, we, uh, convention and visitors bureau and say, we need you know three athletes from your area who either are designing courses or doing a lot of riding, have experience. Sometimes we know people personally because it's not hard. You go in the database and there's... 27 people from Tulsa and this right. guy's raced 15 races and we even pick up the phone and say hey can you come we're looking at this can you give us a hand and look at x or y or z right in addition to introducing this new race in Tulsa you also have a new rotating Ironman concept that you're introducing this year tell me a little bit about that yeah so this was one actually I, I put a lot of thought into and in some of the team here and what brought this up was sort of we have some of these communities that we've the business evolves as you grow and evolve you leave communities you you come back to communities so there is this concept of newness you know one of the reasons you're seeing a lot of newness in North America is it's been a long time since we put newness in Ironman you know I think Chattanooga was the the last new Ironman before we announced Tulsa but our athletes crave new. I mean, mm -hmm. so back going back to Graham's era, we were very much like once we go somewhere, we're there. These things are 
brutal to put on. They're hard. The communities make the commitment. We're committed forever. Great right. mindset. And we're still that way with our core communities. And how many athletes around do you have that come to your races? 2,500 to 3,000? Yeah, we're, we're racing on average around 2,500-ish. Some are bigger, some are smaller, depending on course capacities. There's a whole nother, that's right. a whole nother conversation. But, but ultimately, um, you know, we're like, how do we inject newness in a way that is consistent that we can do consistently, but without, you know, going somewhere, maybe we shouldn't go. So we're right. like, well, we have some of these older communities that have been great communities for us, but maybe can't support an Ironman every year. The, both St. George and Coeur d'Alene, which both have been announced, I think for 20 and then 21 fantastic Ironman races. Yeah. But, but I almost one, did Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. Well, better hurry up because you're going to get one, one, one shot in three years. Next year, so, right? Yeah. All right. I'll, but, make, I'll get ready. <laughs> but they've been well liked by athletes, but through a series of reasons, they were either not economically viable or we couldn't do them on a regular basis. So we're like, you know what? We know what to do in these places. Why can't we just create a rotating system? Right. right. And, and that makes where the places happy. It makes the places happy in regard to they, they still have their hand in Ironman. Both of those communities are tremendous Ironman communities. They both host 70.3. St. Mm-hmm. George will host the world championship in 2021. But maybe they can't support an Ironman every year. Or maybe we don't want to do an Ironman every year there for a variety of reasons. So we're like, well, we'll we're strong enough operationally now. We we know what we're doing. Why can't we just have a rotating concept? And it seemed to create a lot of excitement with the athlete community as well. Right. Whereas, you know, if you want to do Ironman St. George, you're doing it next year. Or you're not doing it again until 23, right? Yeah. So you'll get it. So it creates some urgency, but also offers that unique opportunity on a semi-regular basis to race in these great communities of which we'll, we'll, I think we're going to pull in a third and it'll probably be a brand new community oh, that's and do awesome. the same thing as we look at it. So what kicked it off is in the Philippines where we have races. And this is, again, us using some of our global reach. We have an every other year concept with the Philippines with an Ironman for a slightly different reason. Economically, you know, the, the country can't support an Ironman every year, but there's enough athletes who want to do one. Well, like, and then we're like, OK, well, why don't why doesn't that concept work somewhere else? And a lot of like when you see innovative things, it's we've seen it work maybe in other parts of the world and we bring it here. This past few years have been all about growth and expansion as a theme for Ironman Group. You recently acquired Rock and Roll Marathon Series in 2017 and just now announced an RFP for new venues and cities. And I understand you're also looking for athletes and local communities to reach out to you to submit a request to have a race in their city so tell me more about this and also can you tell me a little bit about rock and roll just for my listeners in case they don't know about rock and roll marathon yeah so rock and roll the marathon series is the largest running series in the world i mean it was it's really interesting the growth of rock and roll very much mirrors that of iron man honestly it was in the early night late 90s sort of this endurance explosion happened in parallel where we were growing triathlon, you know, the rock and roll marathon series was effectively growing running in the United States. And the concept was to make running fun again and to grow running beyond the ultra hardcore guys who, you know, get up at five in the morning and put in their 10 miles every day. And, and it very much is around this culture of you can be fit and you can have fun and you can do, it doesn't matter who you are. You can get off the couch and go do a 5k just as an example. And that's interesting to us. We're a global company and, you know, Ironman's going to always be the beating heart of what we do, no matter what. Right. I can't ever see that changing, but we need to explore other opportunities like any company and running, you know, when you compare it to triathlon is, I don't even know, 50 times bigger globally 
right? So it's a space that we're working in. We're at the Singapore Marathon. We have running events all over the world. And rock and roll seemed like a unique opportunity for us to step in and see if we could take the series, make it better, and add it to our portfolio. It also gives us access to athletes at the beginning of their journey. Right. If you're an Ironman athlete, you're typically not coming off the couch. I know there's rare cases, so on and so forth, but right. you have a you have an athletic background and or you're already running, you're already doing things. So we don't really see you until you're already committed to doing something reasonably difficult. Right. Well, for us to grow as a business and to have more control over kind of the marketplace, it's sort of like a pyramid. We wanted to kind of enter at the bottom of the pyramid versus right. entering really maybe not at the peak, but certainly at the upper end. Yeah, so, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of runners like, you know, eventually will, it, like, I mean, it's a, it's a gateway into triathlon, I like to say, but mm -hmm. I mean, that's where I started. It's I started running 5Ks 100%. and then mm -hmm. half marathons and someone asked me to drive them to a triathlon and I ended up doing it with zero experience, but as a runner, I was able to get by, not recommended. <laughs> um, and then you also announced a partnership with Abbott World Marathon mm -hmm. as well this year. Was it this year or two years ago? Uh, I think 2017, 2017 was the announcement. Yeah, so... Which is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we had the opportunity to effectively, again, we're a global company, so our office out in Asia had an opportunity to get the Singapore Marathon. It was a race in significant financial trouble, and we were able to step in and, and basically take it out of almost receivership, put it back on its feet, but it, it's a unique opportunity. Uh, Andrew Messick, our CEO, had been talking with the Abbott World Marathon Majors group about how do we get involved, like how do we join the club? When you look at the core peak of running, yes, they are the top. They are the elite aspirational events that every athlete wants to do. Right. We like playing in that space. Right. Like we are that Ironman. for Ironman, right? We are that in mountain biking with the Cape Epic, which is another event we acquired in 17. So when we look at it, we talked about that pyramid. Mm -hmm. We operate our best events operate at the top of that pyramid and we like to play there. So through, you know, some pretty good negotiations, Andrew worked out an agreement with the Abbott World Marathon Majors for us to be able to bring in through a process the 7th, 8th, and ninth race in the series. So we have those exclusive rights. Singapore is in the process. Chengdu, which is a, a race, a really good race, in China is in the process as the 8th and the ninth's to be determined. So we're operating here with rock and roll where we're, it's really a cool, cool time to be a part of the company because we're literally touching athletes at every spectrum. Yeah. And it's, I, I think it's a great mantra for us as a company too, because you know, when you're, when we're only talking about Ironman, we're talking about people who are already in shape. We're talking about people who already have made a fitness journey. We're now touching people literally entering and all the way to the top, which is right. pretty cool. That and is very cool. It gives us a lot of opportunities, but it also is a great message. I think one that we believe in fitness, like I, I was on, I went, I raced the half marathon in Vegas a couple of weeks ago. And I was on a train with four women from Arkansas. Two of them were doing their first 5K. Wow. And I love that. They were there and they were having a good time. They asked me a million questions. Two were doing their first half marathon. So there are four yeah. of them. So two were already somewhat along their journey. They had dragged along two of their friends just to start their journey. Right. That's really cool. And it's actually very rewarding. I'm just sitting there on the train and they're asking me questions because they saw I had a tag on. And then I told them like what I do. And they're like, wow. And then, then the questions really start to roll. But so it's cool on a personal level to be able to impact people in that way. And my last question, you're so busy mm -hmm. creating all these amazing sporting experiences and events for participants and athletes, encouraging people in your company, 
to be healthy, to work out? What do you do to stay fit? And do you have a bucket list event? Well, I'm in the gym four times a week. I probably run two to three times a week. I think it's like anything else. I mean, I've been an athlete since I was a young kid. I was a college wrestler. I mean, I think it just becomes part of the fabric of what you do and you figure it out. Like I was training yesterday. You know, I left here, went, trained for an hour, grabbed my kids. We had a Christmas party. I mean, you figure it out. And I think it's really important that it becomes a fabric of your everyday. And right. certainly we live it because we, I've never had a job that wasn't in sports right. ever. It's weird to think that. And from a bucket list perspective, I think I want to do the, the marathon at Singapore is one of them. Um, just cause I've seen the event. We just flipped it to a night event, which is really unique right. and I different. Saw that. I think as you look at, you know, that event potentially entering the world marathon majors, I just think it might be cool once we're officially in, it might be cool to race the marathon at that. That just that feels like cool. a really unique experience, and I'm a little, I think, probably biased because it's one of ours, but as I kind of look at, like, what we do, that might be, that would be a cool thing to say. I did the first one when it was in, and it was a night race, so. That's awesome. Well, this has been really great. Thank you so much for, for doing thank the you. podcast. And, and thank and you for what you're doing with the sport and reaching out to everybody. It's pretty cool, so. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. Keep drinking. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.